Section 27 of Revelations of a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Revelations of a Wife by Adele Garrison. Chapter 27. How Nearly I Lost You. Dicky and I had been so engrossed in our quarrel that we had not noticed our proximity to Grace Draper. Whether she had purposely approached us or not, I could not tell. At any rate, when after Dicky's outburst of jealous anger against Dr. Pettit and my retort concerning his model, he had cried out loudly, "'To the devil with Grace Draper! I'm not bothering about her. She's getting on my nerves anyway.' I heard a choking little gasp from behind me, and, turning swiftly, saw the girl standing quite near to us. Except when excited, Grace Draper never has any color, but the usual clear pallor of her face had changed to a grayish whiteness. I had reason enough to hate the girl. I had schemed with Lillian to save Dicky from her influence. But in that moment, as I gazed at her, I felt nothing but deep pity for her, for all the poise and pretense of the girl was stripped from her. She was a ghastly, pitiable sight as she stood there, her big eyes fixed on Dicky, her breath coming unevenly in shuddering gasps. Then she glanced at me, and her eyes held mine for a moment, fascinated. Then, with a little shrug of her shoulders, she turned away, and I knew that the danger of Dicky's realizing her agitation was past. "'What are you looking at so earnestly?' Dicky demanded. Without waiting for an answer, he turned swiftly, following my gaze, and catching sight of the retreating back of Grace Draper. "'Good Lord!' he gasped in consternation. "'Do you suppose she heard what I said?' "'Oh, I'm sure she didn't,' I replied mendaciously. Dicky looked at me curiously. Whether he believed me or not, I do not know. At any rate, he did not press the question. Neither did he again refer to Dr. Pettit, to my sincere relief. We made a merry picnic of our impromptu luncheon, and after it, when we were dried by the sun, we spent a comfortable lazy two hours lounging on the beach. If I had not seen Grace Draper's blanched face and the terrible look in her eyes when she had heard Dicky's exclamation of indifference toward her, I would not have dreamt that her heart held any other emotion except that of happy enjoyment of the day. She laughed and chatted as if she had not a care in the world, directing much of her conversation to me. It crossed my mind that for some reason of her own, she was trying to make it appear to every one that we were on especially friendly terms. It was after one of Dicky's periodical trips to Jim's fire, which Harry Underwood did not allow him to forget, and his report that the dinner would be shortly forthcoming, that Grace Draper rose and said carelessly, "'Suppose we all have another dip before dinner. There won't be time before we leave for a swim afterward.' and the water is too fine to miss going in once more. What do you say, Mrs. Graham? Will you race me? I saw Lillian's quick little gesture of dissuasion, and through me there crept an indefinable shrinking from going with the girl. But the men were already chasing each other through the shallow water, 
and I did not wish to humiliate my guest by refusing to go with her. "'It can hardly be called a race,' I answered quietly, "'for you swim so much better than I. But I will do my best.' I followed her into the water with every appearance of enjoyment, and exerted every ounce of my strength to try to keep up with her rushing through the waves. I knew she was not exerting her full strength, for she is a magnificent swimmer, but I found that I had all I could to keep pace with her. She seemed to be bent on showing off her skill to me, or else she was trying to test my nerves by teasing me. I knew that she was able to swim under the water when she chose, but that did not accustom me to the frequent sudden disappearances which she made or to her equally sudden reappearances above the surface of the water. She would dash on ahead of me a few yards, then her head would disappear beneath the waves. The next thing I knew she would bob up almost at my side. There was a fascination about this skill of hers which gripped me. I was so engrossed in watching her that I did not realize how far out we had gone, until, at one of her quick turns, I followed her, caught a glimpse of the beach. To my overwrought imagination it seemed miles away. I suddenly felt an overwhelming terror of the cloudless sky, the rolling waves, even of the girl who had brought me out so far. I looked wildly around for her, but could not see her anywhere. Evidently she was indulging in one of her underwater tricks. I turned blindly toward the shore. As I did so, I felt a sudden jerk, a quick clutch at my foot, a clutch that dragged me down relentlessly. I remembered gasping, struggling, fighting for life, with an awful sensation of being sunk in a gulf of blackness. I fancied I heard Lillian Underwood's voice in a piercing scream. Then I knew nothing more. The next thing I remember was a voice. There, she's coming out of it. Let me have that brandy. And then I felt a spoon inserted between my teeth, and something fiery trickled gently drop by drop in my throat. The voice was that of Dr. Pettit. With a gasp, as the pungent liquid almost strangled me, I opened my eyes to find that the physician's arm was supporting my shoulder, and his hand holding the spoon to my lips. "'Oh, thank God! Thank God!' someone groaned brokenly on the other side of me, and I turned my eyes to meet Dickie's face bent close to mine and working with emotion. "'She is all right now,' the physician said reassuringly. "'She will suffer far more from the shock than from any real damage by her immersion. Get her into the tent.' He turned to Mrs. Underwood and said, Rub her down hard, and if there are any extra wraps in the party, put them around her. Give her a stiff little dose of this. He handed Lillian the brandy flask. Then bring her out into the sunshine again. She'll be all right in a little while. Dicky picked me up in his arms as the physician spoke, as if I had been a child, and strode me toward the improvised tent Dr. Pettit had indicated. "'Sweetheart, sweetheart, suppose I had lost you,' he said brokenly, and then, manlike, reproachfully, even in the intensity of his emotion, 
what possessed you to go out so far if it hadn't been for grace draper being on hand when you went down you would never have come back harry and i were too far away when little screamed to be of any use but by the time we got there miss draper had you by the hair and was towing you in my brain was too dazed to comprehend much of what dicky was saying but one remark smote on my brain like a sledgehammer. Grace Draper had saved my life? Why, if I had any memory left at all, Grace Draper had— Lillian came forward swiftly and placed a restraining finger on my lips. You mustn't talk yet, she admonished. Then to Dicky, run away now, Dicky Bird, and give Mrs. Durkee and me a chance to take care of her. Little Mrs. Durkee's sweet, anxious face was close to Lillian's. "'Yes, Dickie,' she echoed. "'Hurry out now.' Dickie waited long enough to kiss me, a long, lingering, tender kiss that did more to revive me than the brandy, and then went obediently away while Mrs. Durkee and Lillian ministered to me as only tender and efficient women can. When I was nearly dressed again, Lillian turned to Mrs. Durkee. "'Would you mind getting a cup of coffee for this girl?' she asked. "'I know Jim and Katie have some in preparation out there.' "'Of course,' Mrs. Durkee returned and fluttered away. She had no sooner gone than Lillian gathered me in her arms with a protecting maternal gesture, as if I had been her own daughter restored to her. "'Quick,' she demanded fiercely, "'tell me just what happened out there when you went under. Did you get a cramp or what?' I waited a moment before answering. The suspicion that had come to my brain was so horrible that I did not wish to utter it even to Lillian. "'I think it must have been the undertow,' I said feebly. I felt something like a clutch at my feet dragging me down. Lillian's face hardened. Into her eyes came a revengeful gleam. "'Undertow!' she ejaculated. "'You poor baby!' "'Your undertow was that draper devil's calculating hand.' I stared at Lillian, horrified. "'But Lillian,' I protested faintly, "'how is it that they all say she saved my life? "'If she really tried to drown me, why didn't she let me go?' "'Got cold feet,' returned Lillian laconically. "'You see, she isn't naturally evil enough deliberately to plan to kill you.' I give her credit for that with all her devilishness, but something happened today between her and Dicky. I don't know what it was that drove her nearly frantic. I saw her look at you two or three times in a way that chilled my blood. I didn't like the idea of your going out there with her, but I didn't see any way of stopping you. Now there's one thing I want you to promise me, she went on hurriedly, although I know you well enough to know it's something you would do anyway without a promise. I don't want you to hint to anyone, even Dickie, what you know of the Draper's attempt to put you out of commission. It's the chance I've been looking for, the winning card I needed so badly. I won't need to stay a week with you, my dear, as I thought when I first planned my little campaign to get Dickie out of the Draper's clutches. I can go home to-night, if I wish to, with my mission accomplished. Why, what do you mean? I asked. Just this, retorted Lillian. 
that I'm going to spring the nicest little case of polite blackmail on Grace Draper before the day is over that you ever saw. I shall need you when I do it, so be prepared, although you won't need to say anything. But here comes Mrs. Durkee with the coffee. Do you think, after you drink it, you'll feel strong enough to have me tackle Grace Draper? I shivered inwardly, but bent my head in assent. Lillian had proved too good a friend of mine for me to go against her wishes in anything. After I had drunk the steaming coffee, with Mrs. Durkee looking on and smiling approval, Lillian made another request of the cheery little woman. "'Would you mind asking Miss Draper to come here a moment?' she said quietly. "'Mrs. Graham wants to thank her. And then do hunt up that husband of mine, and tell him to rig up some sort of couch for Mrs. Graham.' so she can lie down while we have our dinner. We can all take turns feeding her. As Mrs. Durkee hurried out, eager to help in any way possible, Lillian turned to me grimly. That will keep her out of the way while we have our seance with the draper. Now brace up, my dear. Just nod or shake your head when I give you the cue. It seemed hours, although in reality it was only a moment or two, before Grace Draper parted the improvised sail curtains and stood before us. I think she knew something of what we wished, for her face held the grayish whiteness that had been there when she heard Dicky's impatient words concerning her. But her head was held high, her eyes were unflinching as she faced us. "'Miss Draper!' Lillian began, her voice low and controlled, but deadly in its icy grimness. "'We won't detain you but a moment, for we are going to get right down to brass tacks. I know exactly what happened out there in the surf a little while ago. I was watching from the shore, and saw enough to make me suspicious, and what I have learned from Mrs. Graham has confirmed my suspicions.' She glanced toward me. You felt a hand clutch your foot and then drag you down, did you not, Madge? I nodded weakly, conscious only of the terrible burning eyes of Miss Draper fixed upon me. It is a lie, Miss Draper began, fiercely, but Lillian held up her hand in a gesture that appeared to cow the girl. Don't trouble either to deny or affirm it, she said icily. There is but one thing I wish to hear from your lips. It is the answer to this question. Will you take the offer Mr. Underwood made you to get you that theatrical engagement? And having done this, will you keep out of Dickie Graham's way for every day of your life hereafter? I don't mind telling you that if you do this, I shall keep my mouth closed about this thing. If you do not, I shall call the rest of the party here now and tell them what I know." "'Mr. Graham will not believe you,' the girl said through stiff lips. Her attitude was like the final turning of an animal at bay. "'Don't fool yourself,' Lillian retorted caustically. "'I am Mr. Graham's oldest friend. He would believe me almost more quickly than he would his wife, for he might think that his wife was prejudiced against you. I am not a patient woman, Miss Draper. Don't try me too far.' Take this offer, or take the consequences. The girl stood with bent head for a long minute as Lillian flared out her ultimatum. Then she lifted it and looked steadily into Mrs. Underwood's eyes. 
Remember, I admit nothing, she said defiantly. But, of course, I accept your offer. There is nothing else for me to do in the face of the very ingenious story which you two have concocted between you. She turned and walked steadily out of the tent. Her words, the blaze in her eyes, the very motion of her body, was magnificently insolent. She's a wonder, Lillian admitted, drawing a deep breath as the girl vanished. I didn't think she had bravado enough to bluff it out like that. Oh, now, my dear, Lillian spoke briskly, just lean your head against my shoulder, shut your eyes, and try to rest for a little. I know that sand with the raincoat covering doesn't make the most comfortable couch in the world, but I think I can hold you so that you may be able to take a tiny nap. What Dicky surmised concerning the events of the afternoon, I do not know. He must have known that the girl was madly in love with him. Something had happened to put an end to the infatuation into which he had been slipping so rapidly. Had he become tired of the girl's open pursuit of him? Had he guessed to what lengths her desperation had driven her? Had the shock of my narrow escape from drowning startled him into a fresh realization of his love for me? I felt too weak even to guess the solution of the riddle. All I wanted to do was to nestle close to Dicky's side, to be taken care of, and petted like a baby. The ride home through the sunset was a quiet one. To me it was one of the happiest hours of my life. Dicky, fussing over me as if I were a fragile piece of china, sat in the most sheltered corner of the boat, and held me securely against him, protecting me with his arm from any sudden lurch or jolt the boat might give. Seemingly, by tacit agreement, the others of the party left us to ourselves. They talked in subdued tones, apparently unwilling to spoil the wonderful beauty of the twilight ride home with much conversation. When the boat landed, Harry Underwood, at Dicky's suggestion, telephoned for taxis to meet the little trolley, upon which we journeyed from the beach to Crest Haven. One of these bore the Durkees and Grace Draper to their homes. The other was to carry Harry and Lillian, with Dicky and me, to the old Brennan house. Dr. Pettit, who was to take a train back to the city, came up to us after we were seated in the taxi. "'I would advise you to go directly to bed, Mrs. Graham,' he said, with his most professional air. "'You have had an unusual shock, and rest is the one imperative thing.' I felt that common courtesy demanded that I extend an invitation to the physician to call at our home when next he came to Marvin. But fear of Dicky's possible displeasure tied my tongue. I could not do anything to jeopardize the happiness so newly restored to me.' To my great surprise, however, Dicky impulsively extended his hand and smiled upon the young physician. "'Thanks ever so much, old man,' he said cordially, "'for the way you pulled the little lady through this afternoon. Don't forget to come to see us when next you're in Marvin.' I was tucked safely into Dicky's bed, which he insisted on my sharing, saying that he could take care of me better there than in my own room, when he gave me the explanation of his cordiality. "'I'm not particularly stuck on that doctor chap,' he said, tucking the coverlet about me with awkward tenderness. 
but I'm so thankful tonight I just can't be sour on anybody. Sweetheart, sweetheart, he put his cheek to mine, to think how nearly I lost you. And my heart echoed the exclamation it could not speak aloud. Ah, Dicky, to think how nearly I lost you. End of chapter 27